0: Brothers and sisters, it is incredibly obvious to anyone paying a little bit of attention that Sha'ban is the month of increased tensions before Ramadan, as if it is the time where Shaytan, before he is arrested, apprehended, and locked away, sets us on some autopilot to trajectory to sabotage our Ramadan before it starts. So predictable. If we're paying attention, and perhaps this is why the Prophet ﷺ encouraged us to settle all disputes before Sha'ban is halfway through. The famous hadith that says, when it's the midway point of Ramadan, Allah forgives everyone except a mushrik, someone that sets equals to him, rivals to him, and a mushahin, someone that is filled with grudges towards others. You want your Ramadan to be accepted? Make sure you are clear of the disease, of being consumed with content, hatred, resentment, grudges, ill feelings towards your brothers and sisters. And a direct parallel to this is that the Prophet wasallam said, if you want your weekly deeds to be accepted... The deeds are presented to Allah every Monday and Thursday, except for two people that are quarreling. He says to the angels, wait on these two hatta يَصْطَلِحَ until they make things right with each other, until they mend their relationship. It's as if to say, yes, they've worked hard, yes, they've done deeds this year or this week, but it's not in the books yet, if you will. Wait till they reconcile their relationship. And I don't want this khutbah, to be honest, to be just about Uh, getting caught off guard in these last 30 days, insha'Allah, May Allah allow us to see Ramadan. But I don't want you just to be vigilant about shaitan toying with you in these coming days and stirring new conflicts in this period. I want you to look at your pre-existing conflicts as well. I want you to look at the pain, the hurts, the hard feelings that are already here and to hurry up and figure out a way to rinse them away. You know, the Prophet والسلام, is the one that spoke with this language. It's not just about Ramadan. He said, مَنْ كَانَتْ لَهُ مظلمة عند أخيه من عرضه أو شيء. Whomever has some sort of if offense, any sort of offense, whether it is their dignity, he said. You disrespected them in some way. Whomever has some sort of offense against their brother. Then let him quickly go get forgiveness, become halal, make it halal. Today, he says, before you arrive at a day where there is no gold and no silver. He says, because on that day, the currency will only be deeds. Our deeds are so meager. Our deeds are so weak. We give up, give up so many opportunities to perform good deeds. The ones we do, we want to protect. He says, and then on that day, in Kanat lehu, hasanat, If they have deeds then it will be taken from them, these good deeds, and given to those they offended, given to those they abused, given to those they violated. And if they have no good deeds, meaning left after all of this repaying repaying of dues, it is taken from their sins. May Allah protect us. And then they are piled onto this person to to double their bankruptcy. But today, it is free. Right now, it is free. It's even free not just in terms of your deeds. It is free even in terms of money. It's free to apologize. Oftentimes, even restoration, reparation, whatever, making it right, doesn't even cost us money. It may cost us a little bit of an ego bruise. That's a bruise you want to show up on the Day of Judgment with. That's sort of a war scar. We all make mistakes. The best of us are those who acknowledge and amend. As he said, sallallahu alayhi wa كل آدم Every child of Adam, every human being commits sins. وخير التوابون. And the best of those who commit sins, meaning the best of all of humanity, are those who make it right, those who rectify, those who repent for those sins. You know, even in the uh, sort of the, the, the marriage uh, counseling world, there is a, a famous like old joke. Not to make this sort of a humorous moment, but that they, they ask them, "Does any one of you, has any one of you ever heard of a perfect husband?" And they say that a man once raised his hand and he said, "Yes, I've heard of a perfect husband. My wife's first husband apparently was perfect. That's the one. In other words, no one has ever perceived as perfect. Maybe when someone passes her first husband, right? When someone passes, you, in a very forgivable, magnanimous way, you forget all of their flaws, right? Or they weren't perfect, but she uses him as a standard to shame the new husband, right? She's talking about, my first husband didn't do this, he didn't do that, he didn't do this, he didn't do that. So she's only citing his perfection to prove her point that you're so flawed, you're so imperfect. But in reality, this doesn't exist. You know that example is extra operative, why? Because it reminds us that our closest relationships are the ones that, these are the people that discover our greatest imperfections right they're the closest to us our most intimate bonds with the spouse with the child with the parent and so they see the good the bad and the ugly they see us behind closed doors they are the ones that see in us more imperfections than anyone which means we need to learn how to apologize to them more than anyone that is the idea so why don't we apologize Perhaps the number one reason why it is difficult on a person to apologize is insecurity. For instance, if someone is, and forgive me for the term, but hell-bent on guarding their image in the eyes of others, they will never jeopardize that image by admitting fault to others, right? But that's your problem. You're assuming that people think you're perfect. You're assuming you're perfect. This is called arrogance. Arrogance. Arrogance in reality at its core is an insecurity and it is the greatest barrier that you continue to strike down between you and Allah Azza wa Jal. It is a detriment, a spiritual ailment that has to be removed from everyone. You know, researchers say another reason why people become this way, become very insecure and incapable of uh, admitting fault and so desperate and parched for the validation of others and that's why they'll never sort of say something that could invalidate them in people's eyes, they say because they grew up every day in their life being told in their upbringing by their parents or the parent figure about what they're doing wrong. They're never told about what they're doing right. So over the years, this child subconsciously, whether they realize it or not, they made a decision that I can't wait to grow up because once I become an adult, I'm never going to be wrong again. That's what happens. Or perhaps also they noticed what was wrong in their parents, but they could not point the finger at their parents the way their parents could point the finger at them. And you know children when they're sort of very young, they see their parents as absolutely flawless and perfect. But after a while they start realizing, wait, they're not so perfect. (laughs) And so once they get to that age, if they don't notice their parents in the habit of apologizing to the child or to, other, to each other, when they make the mistakes, they will grow up and embody that which they hated, but they're still going to embody it. They just hated it because it was inflicted on them or those they loved, like mom or like dad. But they will still adopt it towards others. They will still be a carbon copy of that more often than not. The parents never accepted their imperfections. They understood from them that an adult doesn't apologize. <laughs> they may have heard uh, in someone's perverted mentality that real men don't apologize. Whoever believes that, consciously or not, will never be in a loving relationship, will never enjoy love and relationships that are long-term healthy and stable. The man of all men, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, stood setting the ranks and tightening between the gaps before the battle of Badr started, and a man uh, named Suad, he was a little bit ahead of the row, and so he kind of just tapped at him in his belly with the arrow—not the sharp side. He's not stabbing anyone. He's telling him back up. And so he said, "Ya Rasul Allah, you are unfair to me. Alqidni min nafsik. I want equal retribution. Eye for an eye." The Prophet والسلام, had no ego to defend. It is okay to care about yourself, by the way, to have self-respect and self-regard. But he didn't have an inflated ego. N- none of us ever should. And so immediately he said, fair is fair. And he uncovered his belly, his blessed stomach, alayhi salatu wassalam, and he said, go ahead, poke me the way I poked you. There's no purer apology than that. Right away, in front of everybody. Same way I poked you in front of everybody. And so Suad, radiyallahu an jumps and Embraces the Prophet والسلام, and kisses his blessed stomach. Sallallahu alayhi wa And he says to him, What are you doing? Like this was unexpected. <laughs> he said, الله, Ya Rasulallah, Ya Rasulullah, you see what's happening. We're about to lose our lives together right now, potentially. And so I wanted an Yakuna ahdi bik and jildi jildak. I wanted the very last interaction I have with you before I enter my grave is that my skin gets to touch your skin. Alhamdulillah, I got it. I was looking for an excuse to embrace you. So the Prophet, alayhi made a, bir- a beautiful dua for him and said to him, now get back in line. <laughs> we got a war to fight. And so the Muslim, the follower of Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, never carries himself like he's always right, or she's always right. Never, we never carry ourselves like the world revolves around us. We are the followers of the Prophet Muhammad. We apologize and apologize fast when we have to, when it's justified. You know, sometimes people take too long to apologize, and maybe this is you know a time to remember the hadith of you're not allowed to shun your brother or sister over three days. You know, the beauty in this is that when people take too long to apologize, especially for their innocent mistakes, you leave the door wide open. For Shaitan to cause people to think that your weakness, and we all have weakness, is actually wickedness. It's it's malice. You wanted to hurt them. You intentionally did that to them. And you know, maybe also people don't apologize because they think that apologies mean I'm accepting the entirety of the blame. And that's not true. When you apologize, when you seek to be redeemed in someone's eyes, you are simply owning your share of the problem. Or that you could have been part of the reason for why this escalated in the way that it did. That's all. And the second thing I want to say is that if you're going to forgive someone who apologizes, it doesn't mean that the relationship has to go back to the way it was. That's not necessary either. You know... Uh, The Prophet ﷺ, when Abu Izzah, the poet who sort of was beating the drums of war over and over again, was forgiven once by the Prophet ﷺ, after Uhud, he's there again, he was one of the greatest inciters and warmongers, he said to him, forgive me again, O Muhammad, he said to him, the believer is not bitten from the same snake hole twice. So you can also forgive someone and not give them the same access they had before. Umar ibn Khattab as well. You know, Umar ibn Khattab, radiallahu anhu, his brother Zayd, he used to say, Zayd beat me ila al He beat me to the two greatest treasures, both of them. Because Zayd, his brother Ibn Khattab, became Muslim before him and died shaheed before him. So he attained Islam and attained martyrdom both before Umar ibn Khattab, radiallahu anhu. He used to cry whenever he remembered his brother and mentioned that statement. He beat me twice. One day during his khilafah, he encounters Abu Mariam al-Hanafi, the man who before Islam killed his brother. Before that man became Muslim, he killed Zayd. And so Umar, when he saw him, his face frowned like, like is that him? And he told him, why are you? He goes, you killed my brother, didn't you? He said, yeah. Before Islam though. He said, why did you make that face? He said, I don't like you. <laughs> you killed my brother. I can't j- flip a switch. He said to him, will that... Prevent me from any of my rights as a Muslim. He said, No, that's different. That's different. He said, In that case, that's your business. Who you like, you, you don't like, I don't mind. So long as I qualify in my Islam, so long as I've attained the approval of Allah, that's between you and yourself. Whether you like me or not, I'm not too worried. Even the Prophet, ﷺ himself, by the way, you know, wahshi was the man that was recruited in exchange for his freedom to target. Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib, and assassinate him during the Battle of Uhud, and mutilate his body so that he could gain his freedom, the slave. When he comes at the end of the Prophet's life to apologize, right? The Prophet accepts and forgives, but he was not able to forget. And that's not always necessary, because at the end of the day, this deen came for human beings, right? And so he said to him, if you are able to hide your face from me, I would appreciate that. And so Wahshi, out of consideration, out of sensitivity for the pain, the turmoil that he caused to the Prophet ﷺ for doing what he did to Hamza years prior, he never heard of a battle campaign in which the Muslims were leaving Medina except that he would be the first person to enlist, to spend as much time outside of Medina as possible. Because at the end of the day, the most loving human being, most forgiving personality in the history of humanity is still not Allah Azza wa jal. Only Allah is al Ghafur, al-wadood. That means he's the most forgiving and the most loving. That means when he forgives you, he loves you just like before and even more than before as if nothing ever happened. Only Allah can love without reservation any human being on the face of the earth right now. There are many human beings among the seven billion on this planet right now that are very difficult to love, even if they are regretful for the things they've done. But not with Allah, Subhanahu wa Taala. So that is part of His perfection, and not something He holds us to. Aqulukulihada wa istighfarullah ala dimaliula. Alhamdulillahi wajadahu alsalatu wa salamu ala man la nabiyah baghdah shido allah ilaha illallah. Brothers and sisters, I want to close out with just five suggestions on how to apologize. Like, relationship experts call these the languages of apology. And why is this important? Take from this whatever strikes a chord with you. But it's important because a lot of times it is not about trying harder, it's about trying smarter. They call it emotional intelligence for a reason. Sometimes we extend apologies to people in the way that we would like to receive an apology not necessarily in the way that they would like to receive the apology that's why they call the the apologies uh, the language of apologies right sometimes you're doing something for 20 years then if you were just to tweak it you'd be like I could have saved 20 years of heartache and pain and and monetary gifts perhaps and otherwise they said the first of them is to express your regret to actually just say I'm sorry but when you say, I'm sorry, two caveats. <laughs> Number one, say what you're sorry about. Because sometimes I'm sorry is like, all right, I said I'm sorry. Now go away. I'm sorry. Stop speaking. Right? Don't penalize someone with your so- sorry. Don't censor someone with your sorry. The second thing is, don't you dare add a but after you're sorry. Because when you say, I'm sorry but, that means you're not accepting anything at this point. You're actually projecting blame. I'm sorry, but you should not have made me angry. You know I have a short fuse. Well, that's not an apology at all, right? So apologize and state what you're apologizing about, right? The second thing is accept responsibility. Because some people, even without the word but, they will uh, project the blame on the other person or just leave it somewhere like ambiguous, somewhere vague, not clear in the middle. They'll say, you know, I'm sorry that you misunderstood. (laughs) Well, you're not owning anything there. You could be insinuating that they're not very uh, clever or witty or intelligent. No. Say, I'm sorry that I was late and I costed you the appointment or I broke my promise or I forgot, you know, uh, this date that is important to our marriage or whatever. Own the responsibility. Say, I am sorry for this, that I did this. You know, even with our children, they say that, uh, you know, when your child says it broke, tell them, let's try this again. Say, I broke it. Get them used to owning and remind them that they will not be punished. And innocent mistakes are not sins. And I will not hold this against you. I'm encouraging you to feel secure enough to own responsibility. So own the responsibilities. Say, I wasn't clear. I could have been clearer for this misunderstanding. Right? Own something of it. The third, offer some sort of compensation. This is Islamic. But part of Tawbah, if it involves sort of you usurping or sort of infringing on the rights of somebody, try to restore it somehow, some way. And sometimes it's very easy. Sometimes you just ask them, right? How can I make this up for you? I, I can't change the past. Can I make it up for you in the future? I'm sorry. I messed up. How, how can I make this better? And they can give you a suggestion. What can I do to make this up? Number four, they have to genuinely seek, <laughs> you know, to make things right. What do I mean by that? You can say, I'm sorry, it was my fault, here's a gift. You're still not over it, but you're doing this every week. You're doing this every month, right? This is not an innocent mistake if you keep repeating it over and over again. That means there's negligence here. I know a brother that Allah blessed him with saving his marriage because when the trust was lost in his marriage, he said, okay, I'm going to do something different now. You now have the password to my phone without which I cannot download an app on my own the marriage was over had he not been able to do something that showed such genuine intent to make it better. Or I heard about another husband that uh, first child perhaps, the child would not be quiet. He was just screaming his head off and the guy lost it. He picked up the child and started shaking the child violently out of frustration. The woman was ready to walk out of the house. She grabbed her baby and broke down crying and ran away and locked the door in her room waiting for him to leave the house so she could pack her bags But Allah guided him to just knock on the door once he was collected and say, I cannot believe that. How can I make sure I never do this again? I never saw that side of me before. And they figured out a code code word that every time he's about to lose his lid, he's going to say, I'm hot, I need a walk. She says he has taken many walks over the years, (laughs) but he has never shaken that child again. He's never abused the child in that way. You know, it's reported that Ali ibn Abi Talib used to say to people, In ila istighfar." The way you seek forgiveness requires that you seek forgiveness. You're taking this as a joke, right? Imagine someone coming out of their car after an accident saying, oh man, I'm so sorry, in the middle of sort of chuckling. You're not taking this seriously. The fifth and final one, as sort of intuitive as it may be, not for everyone, just ask. Sometimes it's all you actually need to do is to ask someone, will you forgive me? Did you accept my apology? And you might see the clouds clear (laughs) and the locks sort of get shattered and everything gets restored. Just ask this. Once again, my brothers and sisters, here it is, and those closest to us are those who need it most. They are those we interact with more than anyone, so there will be more friction than anyone. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not allow that to be inlets for shaitan in our relationships and help us be like our Prophet sallallahu wasallam in reflecting the akhlaq and the humility that is pleasing to our Rahman.